Welcome to a early morning. I guess I can't even call it late night Baseball America Draft podcast. It's uh, one in the morning Eastern time, but we wanted to talk draft a little bit before we uh, wrap up for the night, the first night of the MLB draft. I guess now we can call it the middle of the night from the MLB draft. But John uh, Manuel's here with me, J.J. Cooper here. Uh, we're going to talk a little draft. John is just off of doing the MLB Network draft show, and that was a fun watch as always. But, John, we want to talk a little draft, and we'll just kind of dive into this. So I, there's obviously there's a lot of different ways we could, could go with this, but I'll start off with, so what's a team that jumped out to you? Obviously, we are very early in how the entire draft will shake out, but What's the team that really stood out to you, really impressed you of what they did in day one? Yeah, the one that jumps out off the top of my head is Colorado. Um, Jim Callis and I discussed this before the last segment. And, you know, I, I took Houston because they had the position players. But I, I really thought Colorado crushed it. And, you know, I loved, you know, look, their general manager saw their second pick. <laughs> you know, Jeff Breidich was in to see Mike Nickerak. Because early in the year, I think they weren't the only team that thought that Mike Nickerak could be a single-digit pick. So they evaluated Mike Nickerak as a potential third overall pick early. Then they got Brendan Rodgers. So they got the best hitter and the best pitcher. And they also got, uh, in, the, in that class, the high school, very potentially the best high school hitter and potentially the best high school pitcher. That was a great way to start. And then, you know, adding in Peter Lambert, and I'm blanking right now, JJ, on their fourth pick, but I know I like their selections as well. No, who, I, who's the other pick you have it in? I'll find it if I, if I if you I don't. do not have it on but, hand right now. Um, with this computer, if I bring up the browser, then things start getting wonky. So, um, But I, I do but, think that, uh, to me, again, it starts with the fact that you get the number one player in the draft, and really, you know, not just on our board, but kind of generally thought of as the number one player in the draft and you get them with with your pick and you're not picking one you're not picking two yay good job exactly um exactly. I, obviously i think the astros are another team that really jumps out as you would expect for a team that had 17 million dollars to spend in this draft they they were going to dominate this draft much more than the diamondbacks ever had a chance to dominate this draft because of the money they have and you look at what they did they dominated the first day of the draft exactly like you would expect they would yeah, there's really very few teams that could do what they did with Daz Cameron. And obviously they still have to sign him, you know, talk about $5 million, talk about $4 million. But uh, no other team drafted three position players like that. And they went safer bet, safest bet with the first one in Bregman. Yes, Bregman. And then they got, uh, you know, the next, uh, a little bit riskier with a high school bat, but Kyle Tucker. I think a pretty strong consensus that people believe that he's a one of the best power hitters in the draft, if not the best power hitter. And then they go with the riskiest guy in, in terms of the signability in Daz Cameron. And then, oh, by the way, they threw in Thomas Eshelman, who I say threw in. I don't know if Thomas Eshelman can, can throw anymore since he was drafted, uh, since he was used uh, very aggressively tonight uh, earlier in the evening by Cal State Fullerton. Um, very disappointing for – uh, it's exciting that Fullerton got to Omaha. They were the last West Coast team standing, and they get there. Uh, they were the only one in Super Regionals, and they win it on the road. But very disappointing that they had to do it by using a pitcher on one day's rest. And they're just going to have to wear that one. Uh, there's, just, there's no positive spin there in my mind, except for the fact that they did get to Omaha. Um, but, yeah, uh, I like what the Astros did. I will throw in 
It was Tyler Nevin that the uh, Rockies took at 38. I like Tyler Nevin. I didn't like him as much as 38, but I still like him. Um, it is amazing that the, the Rockies' uh, passion for drafting high school third baseman, um, whether it was Arenado or last year Kevin Padlow and uh, Ryan McMahon, I mean, don't stop to the plane of rock, you know? I mean, they, they love high school third baseman. And if they're from Southern California, all the better. All four of those guys, I believe, are SoCal guys. So uh, kind of amazing that they like that phylum of player, the SoCal high school third baseman. But I, I still like what, what the Rockies did. Now, it's interesting, and I was on Twitter all night, and so I, I got to notice this a lot. But the uh, Rays fans are, are pretty much – in it. it Again, it's Twitter, so there's no, ah, I kind of like that or, you know, whatever. It's, it's the place for let me be as over the top as I can. But Braves fans seem to be incensed by their draft. So I wanted to ask you, the Braves took a, uh, I, I say you, for a team that had five picks, they took a, uh, a somewhat kind of high-risk portfolio approach tonight um, with the first pick and the last pick of their draft tonight, first day. But what did you think overall? Colby Howard, their number one pick. They didn't follow that up with Mike Soraka, Austin Riley, Lucas Herbert. They got the entire San Clemente battery with uh, Allard and Herbert. And then uh, A.J. Minter which, uh, with their uh, supplemental second-round pick. What do you think of that? You know, I definitely uh, – when the Soraka pick, that's where I think it got some people because when Mike Soraka was picked um, – you know, it surprised me a little bit that he went that high. It surprised me a lot, actually. Um, and I had a scout with another team saying, Mike Soroka here? I'm not, you know, maybe I'm not that good of a scout, you know. Um, I do like Austin Riley. Uh, you know, you know me and Mississippi high school kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that phylum, too. <laughs> Use that word again. Um, I thought A.J. Minter was intriguing. Um, I think there's going to be some signability. Like, I-, I have to imagine that's way higher than he thought he was going to go. So they're probably going to save a little money there. Yes. I love I love the Colby Allard pick at 14. I just love it. Love I it. Too. Love it. I mean, so that's the pick I'm convicted in. So to me, the picks that I was most convicted in for them, and I, you know, if there's a, I know that high school catchers is a risky demographic, but boy, this group of brave scouts, especially love you know, Roy Clark uh, when he was scouting director, uh, had success with Jared Saltomachia, had success with Brian McCann. Right in this range, supplemental for, and, and second round picks. So I don't think the Braves draft is terrible. I don't think it's the way that other teams would have lined them up. But um, you know, the, obviously, the, the one thing I do like about Soraka is it sounds like he really spins a breaking ball, you know, and fresh arm. They're like, hey, if he winds up having a Chris Reitzman career, which is the easy comp because he worked out with Reitzman, he's from Alberta, like Reitzman, highest uh, pitcher drafted. You know, since reads him out of that area, um, and if he has that kind of career, and the Braves got some of that uh, goodness from uh, Chris Reedsman as well, um, then they'd be pretty happy with that. So Austin Riley's the wild card there, some strength-oriented kid who uh, wants to play third base. Send him out, see if the power's there, and if it's not, you can put him on the mound. So I, do I think it's the best draft? No, I mean I don't think it was the best first day performance. I think pretty excited about it. And, uh, you know, it is what we thought it would be in terms of a little bit riskier, you know, than other teams drafts, but why not go for it? This draft class didn't have a whole lot of sure things. So I, I like what Atlanta did. Frankly, I, I like Herbert and it's really carried for me by the Allard Herbert combination. I really like that a lot. The, the draft I loved was, uh, for a team that didn't pick till 24, 
again, they got to sign them all, but I, I love what the Dodgers did. I, I, I fully endorse that. You go ahead first. Walker Bueller, Kyle Funkhauser, Mitchell Hansen, Josh Spores. I, I, obviously, the, the thing that jumps out, again, part of this is really, it just comes down to, you, you like them after day one because you get they get guys who you don't expect to be available at their pick. I do not expect that the Dodgers picking 24-35 would land Walker Bueller and Kyle Funkhauser. I would say that I'm not even – I have some concerns with both those guys. Right. But I sure love the risk-reward profile when you take Bueller 24 and when you take Funkhauser 35. And Completely then, agree. If you can sign Hanson at 67, I think that's if, but you, I think they took him in the second round because they think they can – if you can sign Hanson also, that's a high ceiling, pretty uh, pretty smooth outfielder there. That that could be a very, very good top three picks. Again, yes, they had two first-round picks because they had the 35th pick also. But that being said, they didn't pick till 24. I, I'm pretty impressed. All three of those guys were rated higher than where they went. And Funkhauser dropped. For as we discussed on the show, for a combination of signability and ability, and then Walker uh, Walker Bueller dropped, I think more on his just his ability. Uh, Mitchell Hansen, I think there obviously it's a Stanford commit, right? Yes. I mean, so there's some questions there, but you know that guy looks like they're supposed to look, and he I I, I don't see how he's so different from the rest of these high school you know outfielders. I think he's he fits right in talent wise with a lot of those guys. Josh Spores is the guy to watch here for this year. Could Josh Spores be the fastest guy to the big leagues from this draft class? He could. I mean, look at the delivery. It is not conventional, and he was electric the ACC tournament um, as a starter uh, for seven innings, and he was the same thing out of the bullpen. You know, Hudson I'm, uh, wrote about it, uh, was tweeting about it during the uh, Super Regional. This guy could help the Dodgers in the bullpen – this year, I don't be surprised if Josh Bors rushes up to the big leagues with the Dodgers and is pitching some crucial innings down the stretch for these guys. I mean, it's it was a strong first day for you know uh, a Dodgers group that you know, Billy Gasparino who moved up. Hey, look, they're filling some big shoes. JJ, how many years have we been talking about how great Logan White is? You know, we love Logan White because Logan White has a great track record as a scouting director. And he'd been the scouting director from, what, 2001 or whatever year alone he was drafted first, 01, 02, for about seven years, then the three years where he wasn't, and then he went back to it. And he was really good at it. So Billy Gasparino and this crew had to uh, rebuild it. And, uh, you know, they brought over uh, uh, Jack Crescent from the Rays. He's a pitching uh, cross-checker. And you're talking about uh, Spores, Funkhauser, and Bueller. Three college power right-handed arms, uh, that's pretty good. I, the, to me, the Dodgers are definitely on the short list of good drafts. Uh, I like that call. Well, I, I do think also the uh, the most I, I, obvious draft, I guess, is a little bit of a poor way to do it, but I, I will say that. You look at what the Cubs did, and it what the Cubs did fits exactly what you would expect the Cubs to do. They go Ian Happ, and then they go Donnie Deweese. Is that right. not fit the uh, the Cubs profile to a T? It absolutely does. Um, boy, I, their selection at nine had to be tough this year, JJ, because it felt like that was one of the teams 
that, you know, with the uncertainty in the first 10 picks prompted in large part by the uncertainty of whether anyone would draft as Cameron mm-hmm. and if there were going to be any other deals in that top 10 picks, um, you know, they wanted a college bat and that's what they do. That's what Theo does. That's where the, the, the teams that use analytics a lot to direct their first round selections and later selections really believe that you get more value with bats at the top of the draft. See Astros, comma, Houston, <laughs> you know? I mean, they know they need pitching, but if you can find Colin McHugh and Dallas Keuchel as a seventh rounder and these kind of guys, you get stars in the draft, and especially with hitters, and that's what those teams believe, teams that are a little bit more analytical. That's why the Red Sox wanted a hitter so badly and were able to get Andrew Benintendi. And that's what the Cubs do to the top of the draft. I mean, and look at Jason McLeod's track record. I mean, he's done it in Chicago with Bryant, Schwarber, now Hap. I don't think Hap is in the orbit of those other two guys. No. Mind you. I like him. He's not in their orbit. There wasn't, from, there's not a guy in this draft necessarily who might be in that orbit. I agree completely with that. And then, but uh, uh, you know, Donnie Dewey's JJ, you'll laugh at this. I'm trying to make you laugh. Jim Callis tried to put me up to it. It was all I could do when it was my turn to talk about Donnie Dewey's to not just cock my mouth over to the side a little bit, put on my Tim Wilkin voice and talk about Donnie Dewey's as that Atlantic Sun Conference guy, because I did talk about the Atlantic Sun Conference thing. But those are two college performers in a draft that I do think when we look back, this draft class, 2015 in general, will be a really interesting test of the analytics because it, it this was this is a college position player draft. <laughs> that's with, that's really with, what it turned into. With a new with a new system, a new balls that right. changed the stats completely this year. Right. With new with, with the analytics having to catch up to new data. I completely agree. Now the two guys the Cubs got, I'll give them credit, they're athletic. Uh, they did. They both can run a little bit. Are they premium athletes? No. Are they middle of the diamond guys? You know, Dewey's might be a stretch in center field. You know, because like I talked about, the arm strength. Half could be a stretch at second base. He could be. So maybe, and that's the thing to Not me. Not that the Cubs need more second basemen. Correct. I mean, like the basically. I mean, but here we were talking about the number nine player in the draft, and when Harold Reynolds and Dan O'Dowd uh, talked about him, and and, and John Mayo a little bit too. They basically compared him to like a poor man Zobrist, but they basically called him a utility guy. Is that essentially what they called him? A versatile. They kept saying versatile. None of them said utility, but that might be him. I mean, I don't know who the Tony Phillips of our generation is. You know, I guess it's sort of it's, Ben Zobrist, but Ben, ben Zobrist can play short. But he can play shortstop though, yeah. JJ, and this guy can't. And, yeah. And Tony Phillips wasn't really a shortstop, so that's. That makes that's what makes Zobert so much more uh, hey, if valuable. If he's not the Tony Phillips of this generation, Ian Hap, maybe he's the Jerry Brown. <laughs> nice, or the Mark McLemore, since mm-hmm. that's one of the comps that uh, that HR used, and because Mark McLemore was vital on my retro 2001 uh, 116 win team. But I digress. Um, we'll wrap it up with one more. It is 1:30 in the morning. Um, yes. We'll wrap up with one uh, uh, other. I, First draft for them, for Johnny Almaraz as the uh, Philly scouting director, I, I give it, it's very early, we're only two picks, two rounds in, but thumbs up. Cornelius Randolph, Scott Kingery, very much, very similar to what we were talking about with the Cubs draft. Hey, take the premium bats. 
Yeah, absolutely. And hey, look, Cornelius Randolph. Uh, I like that pick at ten. I'm sorry, I never, I didn't suss that out when that one out before. But I really like that pick at ten. Uh, that guy can hit. Stick him in left field and forget it. You know, you don't have to. Uh, you don't have to Which force. Which is what things. they seem to be doing. That's it. You just don't have to force it. And then Scott Kingery at 48. Love in this that. college position draft, how's Scott Kingery at 48? I think there's a little bit of too cuteness there with some of these analytics teams because he doesn't walk. I like Scott Kingery. I know that I have made the Gary Brown comp on him a lot. It <laughs> probably scares people a little bit. but So there's reason to be a little worried there. But I, I like the athlete. All I know is they got the Pac-12 player of the year at 48. And he's a guy who has a chance to stick at second base. Right. They got the Pac-12 player of the year who plays an up-the-middle position and has a pretty good chance to be able to stay there. And he runs. I mean, you know, the things that he needs polish on, defense, base running, those kind of things, those are things that big league clubs are better at teaching than anybody else because they have a base running coordinator and they have infield coordinators. And you have unlimited time to work on those things that you don't have at Arizona. So. I like that pick. I, good call. No, great call. Johnny Almaraz, first, good first day. So anything else before we wrap up, or is uh, is it time to hit the bed? It's time to hit the bed. I got an early flight, but I got to just tell you, JJ, um, I am going to get self-indulgent for a minute. Um, oh, great. This is this is what I look forward to in a 1.30 podcast. Sappy, sappy self-indulgence. I'm just going to say how inspirational it's been to work with you this spring. Um, your first draft – and just how you killed it and, um, you know, just how not easy it is to cover a draft. It is fun. Oh, it's, it's fun to cover fun. the draft. But you embrace the fun part of it. And it's just a, it's an honor and a privilege to work with you on the draft. And you just you've just killed it this year and just can't thank you enough. Teddy and Hudson, too, but they're not on the podcast. So singling you out. But just thank you for that. And uh, I just love hearing the excitement in your voice at 1 o'clock in the morning after draft day. You're just so geeked for it, and that just gets me geeked for it. So thank you. Well, thank you. It's going to hit me tomorrow morning. I promise you that. (laughs) But right now I could go for another hour or two. I mean, it's first day of the draft. The first day of the draft is the fun day. The second day is a mixture of fun and a little bit of drudgery. And then day three. Day three is just drudgery. You know? Day three is like, let's just cut this draft to 20 rounds. Yes, day three is like, and I, hey, I'm hoping I'm going to enjoy it more this year because, again, I'm fascinated to see. We ranked 1,275 players. Now, we're not going to go 12-16 for 12-16. <laughs> I would love that, but we're not. That being said, I am fascinated to see how many of the guys that get drafted we actually already you know, kind of ranked. And my hope is is that we're actually going to be somewhere in that 65-70% range. And that would be pretty killer. It really would be with a, again, with a pretty new with a pretty new crew on the draft. It'd be pretty killer. You so. know, I, I mean, hey, I, I love. There's a reason we. It's funny. I'll wrap up with this. I know, you know. Look, I know the draft map. And it's funny. People always like to think of it like in the past. Like I remember when they used to have the draft map up by May 11th, and it's like. I haven't responded on the comments that we'd love to say that we did. We've never had the draft map up by May 11th. It always ends up being this. It's a race to the finish. Thankfully we did finish in time. We had everyone ranked before, uh, you know, a few hours before the draft, but 
there's a reason that we write up over 500 players, you know, but the BA 500, and then we rank well beyond that because we do think that the second day and the third day of the draft are really important. And we thank you, BA subscriber. If you listen to this podcast and you subscribe, we thank you because yep. you doing that is what allows us to cover this draft to a level of depth that we believe you deserve. It's not something where we're in and out after the first round or the second round or we're in and out after the first day or the second day. The third day matters too. And partly the third day matters. Some of those because there's guys who are going to be big leaguers, but part of it matters because also there's guys who are going to be good minor leaguers and there's guys who are interesting stories. And we want to know about that. We want to tell you about that. And that's what's fun about this. So that's a big part of what's fun about it. It's an area scout today. That third day is an area scout exactly. day. And you know what? We talk to a lot of area scouts. We rely on those guys. In a lot of ways, they're the foundation of professional baseball. They're, they are the people who are kind of the gatekeepers in a lot of ways to when amateur baseball players become professional baseball players. And that's a day to celebrate those guys, the work they put in, the miles they drive, the time they log. And it's the least we can do for – uh, our position in the game at Baseball America to um, cover that day like uh, like we try to cover the first day. So, um, but it, it it does it that third day does become a slog. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, but uh, it is an important day for baseball. And, you know, Bill Bavese was telling me about this at the winter meetings just after this year. You know, maybe that getting drafted at a, 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 for that high school player in the 30 something round. Maybe that's the thing that keeps that guy playing baseball and going to junior college to play baseball instead of giving it up after high school. You know, it might be the difference for some of those players. So um, it is we just don't know. So I, I do think that the draft fewer if you had fewer rounds, they would matter more. Um, I think that's possible. Um, but but right and that now, take anything away from the area scouts, because there's still be guys who get signed after the draft. Absolutely, and that, that, I, I don't think you cut it to 10 rounds. I think you cut it to 20. You still are taking a lot of guys, and you're filling a lot of rosters. So. But it's 140, so we should get going. But uh, I, I just love to hear the enthusiasm in your voice uh, this late at night on your first uh, draft night where you were heavily involved in the draft coverage. You've always contributed, but uh, and I, I just look forward to oh, it. It's much more heavy lifting this year than the past. It's, no yeah, doubt, but I look forward sore. to that, uh, that extra 30% contributing to your indie ball coverage afterwards. Oh, by the way, I'm hoping to get an indie ball, one of my favorite indie ball guys signed today to an affiliated club. If that happened today, it would have made it for the perfect day. Outstanding, J.J. Great work. But, uh, well, for John Manuel, I'm J.J. Cooper. So long, everyone. We know you're probably listening to this on Tuesday morning. We'll have a whole lot more draft coverage Tuesday and Wednesday. Thanks, everyone.